Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hey, bada bing, bada boom. Here we are again. What are you guys drinking? Hey, I, uh, it's September, but it's 96 degrees here in Montana. So I'm just hydrating, straight up hydrating bottle water. Great choice. Bada bing. I am drinking <laughs> sweet tea. Delicious. I feel like that. Is that a fall specific drink or no? Or do you drink that in the summer too? Year round. That makes sense. I am drinking mm-hmm. a Tobo Chico. And then I also had in the fridge this sparkling botanical tea from Rishi Botanicals or Rishi Tea. And this one is the Grapefruit Quince. Some, I think people pronounce it maybe Quince too. Quince. I don't know. Quince Quince. Anyway, it's delicious. It is very good. If you ever see these on the shelf, the Rishi sparkling teas, mm. they're a winner. They're very good. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. All right. I'm into it. So this week in Ravel fashion, we have our patrons deciding what we're going to talk about. And when we put out a call for this week's episode, because we didn't have one in our back pocket, because sometimes they build up. Sometimes we're like in a questiony season. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm-hmm. Now would be a good time to plug the voicemail if you want <laughs> to. Oh, yeah. If you're one of our patrons, uh, leave us a voicemail anytime. Or if you're not a patron, leave us a voicemail. And yeah. we will probably get to it because um, we're not overflowing with voicemails at the moment. So give us a call. So anyway, Emily, what are we talking about today? Marriage. Marriage is what <laughs> brings us together today. <laughs> marriage that blessed arrangement that dream within a dream and love through love will follow you forever so treasure your love talk about marriage baby Whoa. wow you had that memorized I, that's way I longer than you, anyone ever one knows. of my favorite movies of all time you put so much extra mustard on to <laughs> thank you i'm here that was so week. good <laughs> all thank right you. so uh one of our one of our patrons suggested a prompt based off of a recent mason menenga tweet and man let me tell you what after that suggestion the discord popped off into a great discussion about biblical marriage boom, boom, boom. but i think we should start with the tweet so i just sent it to both of you the tweet is by mason menenga if you don't already follow him on the new X platform, go follow him. Nice. So the tweet reads, evangelicals, quote, the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman, unquote. The Bible, colon. And then it goes to this, it goes to this image. Wonderful graphic. <laughs> that is 
very detailed. Should we read through the examples? I think we should. Steven? Aye, aye, Captain. Would you like to read through the examples? Oh, you were... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start us off. I'm going to start us off. We can alternate. The very first one is going to be, if you're looking at the image, it is the top left. So it is man and woman. And in parentheses or quotations or parentheses, whatever, it's nuclear family. Family, oh my lord, nuclear family, <laughs> and it gives specific biblical reference. So it's Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-four, and then it gives wonderful um, little snippets of information. So wives subordinate to their husbands, interfaith marriages are forbidden. Marriages generally arranged not based on romantic love. Bride who could not prove her virginity was stoned to death. So that is what you would find in a marriage that is considered to be between one man and one woman. In the Bible. Next one in the meme is man plus wives plus concubines. Examples include Abraham, Gideon, Nahor, Jacob, Eliphaz, Gideon, Caleb, Manasseh, Solomon, and Belshazzar. Uh, The one after that is man plus woman plus woman's property and i think this is maybe which means exclusively referring to abraham sarah and oh no i forgot her name it's not rahab she's the one who names god first oh no what's her name (gasps) emily quick ishmael's mother you don't know her name oh my god blanking she calls god the god who sees what is her name three two nothing no no Hagar! Nice. There it is. Come on. I see why my brain went to Rahab. It's got got those double A's. It's fair. But I think we're specifically referring to that. And with that, so it's man could acquire his wife's property, including her slaves. So that's important in this marriage. Um, The next one is man plus woman plus woman plus woman dot dot dot. So uh, polygamy. Um, And it gives many examples. We have Lamech. We have uh, Esau, Jacob, Ashur, Gideon, Elkanah, David, Solomon, and the list goes on. Mind you, okay, so like Solomon, uh, 700? Yikes, okay. Getting after it. Getting after it. Next is my personal favorite in the Bible is man <laughs> plus brother's widow, uh, which is known as the Leverite marriage. A uh, widow who had not born a son required to marry her brother-in-law must submit sexually to her new husband. Another type of marriage a marriage that we see in the Bible is between a rapist and his victim. So that, that wasn't just like referring to sex via sexual assault, but like they were like that is documented in the Bible as they were married. The next one is male soldier and prisoner of war. We find this in a couple of the Bible passages, Numbers and Deuteronomy specifically. Um, in this one, I want to read the description because under Moses' command, Israelites kill every Midianite man, woman, and child, save for the virgin girls who are taken as spoils of war. I'm going to read that line again. Spoils of war. Wives must submit sexually to their new owners so marriage in this sense is yeah yeah we'll get into it later (laughs) and finally we have male slave plus female slave this is found in exodus slave owner could assign female slaves to his male slaves 
and the female slaves must submit sexually to their new husbands. So that is marriage found in the Bible. But Josh and Josh, point. you've added <laughs> you've added such a bonkers list to the group chat just now. Uh, it only feels right that you get to read your work of art here. So yeah. uh, <laughs> Mason gets on this kick sometimes because he previously tweeted like ages ago, and I'm sure he's done it before. Biblical marriages between one man, one woman, and hundreds of his concubines, which is obviously a Solomon call out. But when he tweeted that before, I went back through. I didn't like read the entire Bible, but I like researched this. Like, how many men in the Bible do not follow the one man, one woman, quote unquote, prescript? And uh, it doesn't fit in a 240 character tweet. It's too many men. But here they are in short Abdon, Abijah, Abraham, Ahab, Aharasuras. Asher, I'm almost positive I pronounced that wrong. <laughs> Belshazzar, Ben Hadad, Caleb, David, Eliphaz, Elkanah, Esau, Ezra, Gideon, He Man. Oh, He Man. He Man. <laughs> uh, Hosea, Ibsan, Issachar, Jacob, Jair, Jehochin, Jehoram, Jeharamil, Joash, Lamech, Makir, Manasseh, Merid, Moses, Nahor, uh, Rohoboam, Saul, Shaharim, Shimei, Simeon, Solomon, obviously, Terah, Zedekiah, and Ziba. Those are all of the men in the Bible who do not follow the one man, one woman rule. Boom. Knowledge is power, as they say. Also, that's not including the debauchery. Like, you'll notice that Noah was not on that list or <laughs> uh, Lot, who Lot? slept with mm -hmm. their daughters. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's not even including the, like, woes in the Bible, you know? Those are the marriages. So, <laughs> all of this to say, I feel like this begs the question of, like, and this is kind of what the Discord was getting at in their conversation is, like, do we actually see any examples of a, quote-unquote, healthy heterosexual marriage in the Bible anywhere? Uh... And I think that's a fantastic question. So, maybe we should start there. It's kind of assumed, but I would say, and but it's not even really modeled because like we don't hear much about it. Mary and Joseph. Oh yeah, but like mm -hmm. that's kind of even a stretch too. Yeah, and it's kind of really only an assumption because we don't hear about anything bad. Exactly. Right. We really don't hear of anything actually in regards to their marriage. So Joseph is only in the story to make him uh, cuckold. With the Holy Spirit, so, so that's kind of embarrassing. Would, yeah, it's kind of a stretch. Somebody brought up uh, Ruth and Boaz, and Tyler, one of our patrons, brought up this like really good scholarship that's out there that he's participated in actually um, about like how the story of Ruth and Boaz kind of subverts some of the like family expectations that would have been around at the time, including across racial lines. Mm hmm. Mm. But then it also, the beginning of the story also assumes that Ruth and Naomi are still family, even though there's no longer men involved. Right. So it like both kind of depicts a marriage gone well, but also like subverts the idea of family too. Well, but it's also using them as individuals to kind of represent like the possibilities that exist for reuniting basically Jacob and Esau. Oh, sure. Like Jacob being the father of Israel and Esau being the father of Moab, the nation, right? Mm. It's like 
oh, the brothers can <laughs> unite again, you know? But that is, even if we want to hold up Ruth and Boaz as, but fun fact, uncovering Boaz's feet when he sleeps, that meant his penis. Most likely that meant his penis. Um, so, like, even if we're like, this is a good example of Christian marriage in the Bible, it's like, sure. And also premarital sex, so that's fun. But see, also all of Song of Solomon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, this entire book. Yeah. Of the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, reading, because um, I'm going to go back to that tweet real quick, because, fun fact, I don't use Twitter. Uh, I've not jumped on that. I don't use it either anymore. I think I'm off the Twitter game. Are you? Yeah. Are you yeah. off your game? Yeah. So, when, looking yeah. at, so... It died when it became Zitter. Was it the thread? Oh, no, maybe it was on Threads. It was so Josh made that wonderful point of the men in the Bible who weren't in one man, one woman marriages. And he mm-hmm. named all those names. And we had someone that responded to that. And it was biblical doesn't mean as read in the Bible, but rather as prescribed by God revealed in the Bible. What are our thoughts on that? Prescribing what? My guy. <laughs> what? So I, I, okay. I do think that that is a good distinction. Like, the prescription versus description. Like I, I do yeah. think very few people would like look at the marriages in the Bible and be like, yeah, all of those were God ordained or like whatever language you want to put to it and be like, we should follow those examples. Like I think maybe Mormonism is the only one that's like really taken that and ran with it <laughs> regarding polygamy. Sure. Yeah. That- so I do think that's a good point, but also that then begs the question, I think of what is a Christian marriage or like why do we have this mm-hmm. ideal that we say is backed up by the Bible, but like there's actually a lot of, there's a whole lot more verses. And I know, I know it's not a democracy. I've taken hermeneutics, but there's a whole lot more verses about these like marriages gone wrong than there are about like, here's how to do marriage right. And here's what it quote unquote should be. Like the biggest justifications I've ever heard are for like heterosexual marriage being prescribed like explicitly is that jesus says one line and i don't even know what gospel it's in but jesus says one line about like therefore a man will leave his his yeah but he's just quoting parents and be cleaved to a wife and sure um which like actually is kind of like subversive in its own way um we we could talk about that too but like that's the biggest justification i've ever heard beyond like paul said it in a letter Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though we're going to gloss over the fact that Paul says, like, you should actually be single and celibate instead of ever get getting married. But if you must. Yeah. And that one's like more commanding. Jesus yeah. seems more like describing to me. Yeah. He seems like he's describing the norms, not necessarily prescribing. That, that's why in this context, in many contexts, I'm kind of bored with like saying it's biblical doesn't mean it's like you read it in the Bible. It means it's prescribed by the. Yeah. So like. Yeah. That it, that's fine to have the distinction, but then it's like, okay, let's talk specifics. Paul says some stuff, and that's kind of it. And he is basically spelling out what he thinks marriage should look like as a concession to the folks who are so horny they can't not get married. Mm. Mm-hmm. So even then, Wait, it's like... Say that again? Well, like Paul's whole thing was like, you should be single like me because we can do work for the kingdom better. If we're not like, unless you are so horny, you can't keep it in your pants. Basically, yeah. Then, it's then like, you should get married, and then we can continue working. Then we can continue working. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a concession to the folks. He, he's like he holds. 
I, right. We talk about like the Christian or like the biblical ideal for marriage and like the guy who wrote most of the new Testament says the ideal would to not would just to not, to not participate. Do you think Paul was a marriage abolitionist? Marriage abolitionist. Like I've heard some people talk about, and actually, and I should really do a deep dive. I've seen some Orthodox Christians on TikTok talk about marriage abolition, like from a, like from a Marxist perspective, which I don't know enough to like really comment on that. But I think that's interesting, like to talk about that from a Christian perspective. But do you think Paul was like trying to argue against the institution of marriage and not just like, because I do, I think that it's like, it seems pretty well established that Paul fully expected Jesus to return in his lifetime. And so like you could make an argument and I've heard people make this argument that that's why he's saying, don't get married. Like, why would you? But do you think that there's an argument to be made for he's arguing against the institution itself? Like, regardless of Jesus coming back soon? Hmm. I don't... Hmm. A part part of me wants to say yes and a part of me wants to say no. (laughs) Oh. Sure. I think the part of me that would say yes is being uh, dimmed by the part of me that is wanting to say no. Mm. What's like tempering both of those opinions the most? Speaking from a historical Jesus standpoint, if Jesus was a devout Jew, which I'm going to assume he was a devout Jew in his own right, more than likely he he himself probably was married. Mm. And so I think that would be held sacred. And I think Paul would follow suit in saying that. And I will also say, I think maybe Paul saw the flaws or the faults of the marriages that were given to us as examples just moments ago of Mm. (laughs) like, Mm. you know, marrying slaves and treating them like property and not Mm. as an equal or, you know, not being faithful to your partner. Like maybe there were things that Paul recognized as separating us from doing good work within marriage. Let's be real. You weren't considered raped in a marriage until the fifties or late sixties. So like, I don't know, maybe Paul is revolutionary in his time. Hmm. I feel like we have to talk about the fact that you just said that you think Jesus was most likely married or like, like very reasonably prob- could have been was married. Probably married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would be? Because obviously that's probably not a majority opinion in most Christian circles. What agreed? What Ooh. would you say is the biggest norm that would have been like? How, like how would we? Because obviously we can't prove it. Like what would lead us to that understanding of rabbis in second century temple? Judaism like was it the norm that rabbis were getting married as devout Jews Uh, yes so because there was the idea of being fruitful and multiplying and Mm. in the time they often were setting the example of in a way portraying the advice that modern times we would suggest of like premarital counseling for you know pastors it was kind of pushed that eventually like every rabbi should be married. It wasn't like you had a specific timeline of when you needed to be married, but it was apparent that their Mm. hope was that every rabbi would be married because if you are to bear children, you are to be married. That was law. You want kids, gotta be married. 
I mean, I feel like we see that play out in Christianity in America today. Definitely. Like, like it's it's definitely not like a formal requirement, but like most pastors who are mostly men are married. Like it is definitely the overarching norm to be married and have children, pastor or not. And if you are not married, then you are to be celibate. Hence priests. Not all the time. Not not as much today. That's changing. That's true. So Paul pushing back against that, though, would have been seen as counter norm. Yeah, in a way. Why do you think that the idea of Jesus being married freaks so many people out? Because they don't want to think about their savior having sex? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. You think that's it? I think there's more to it, but that's definitely the biggest idea. We are uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus at one point was a prepubescent boy and then he went through puberty and he had urges and he may have touched himself and he may have explored his sexuality. And if he was married, then he would have sexual relations with his wife. And that freaks people out because we see Jesus as being perfect and blemish free and on a pedestal and sex ruins that. The child of a virgin must be a virgin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. And then ultimately it comes back to sex being sinful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outside of marriage. Uh, yeah. Even though. What, <laughs> See episode 69. We've, we've been over that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Love that we did it that way. It's very good. It is very good. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Emily, maybe we should just ask you, what do you think the Bible actually prescribes or preaches about marriage and how it should function? Because the sense that I get is not to just like set you up here, but the sense that I get is that like it actually says very little prescriptively. Yes. Like over large. I would I would agree. And I think rather than looking at specific examples of people married in the Bible, I think it's important to read maybe some of the passages like wives submit to your husbands, because mm. if we look at what that actually means historically and in the ancient languages we see that it is not what we think it to mean today 
And mm. what I believe, and this is what I believe, so y'all can you know bash me over the head later. I believe marriage is thoroughly and intentionally meant to be an equal element of life. I believe marriage has been skewed to be a dominant and submissive relationship. And unfortunately, it's because of the examples that are set before us in the Bible. But you think it's supposed to be like an equalizer? Yeah. You're entering like a wonderfully sacred like covenant. So it should be equal. Covenant is a word we don't use very often anymore. Maybe we should let that have a comeback. No, it is not. That word scares us too. Because that is the Jewish idea of covenant, right? Is that equals Mm -hmm. are coming to an agreement, coming to the table. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think some of the language, even the way like Adam and Eve are preached about of like, Eve means helper, like, which might be true in Hebrew, but. But we attribute that to be lesser than. It comes with cultural baggage, right? The helper helps the main guy do the thing. It's like the helper is the wingman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The co-pilot. Yeah but there's still one guy sitting in primary, you know? Yeah. Which if we are to live into the idea of marriage being equal, then we need to be comfortable with it's not 50 50. Sometimes it's someone's pitching in 80 because the other person is depleted and they're at a 20. Sometimes it is 50 50. Sometimes it's 60 40. Like, Oh, I would also say sometimes it's, both people are at 20% and they just, they need to yeah, cut some things out of their life yeah, so that they can both be repleted. Exactly. It doesn't always add up to a hundred percent in that kind of relationship. I don't think. I'm going to push on that. I think in a way it still does add up to a hundred because you're allowing, let's say both people are at 20. So there's 60 out there that is finding its way to being complete. You know, it's not like you're just both sitting at 20 being like, well, this is it. Like, we're both just fucked. We can't help each other. It's I'm at a 20. You're at a 20. What are we needing to do to be at 50 50? Mm-hmm. You know, it's maybe I'm taking this little baby step and you're taking this little baby step, but it will be at, it is at 100, even if it's unseen. So since we brought up the specific example of uh, the helper, Emily probably already knows this. But I think it's good to say that the other times in the Bible that that word is used, it's this word Ezer. I had to Mm -hmm. look it up because I couldn't remember what the word was. But it's this word Ezer. And it is the only time in the Bible that it's translated helper is in Genesis. And all of the other times it's translated, it's translated with like the Kenoshans. It has Kenoshans? (laughs) Connotations. Connotations (laughs) of like strength. (laughs) and saving and rescuing and only so it's used 21 times in the bible or in the old testament in the hebrew bible twice does it refer to women and the other times it's referring to god and it's always it's usually used in more of like a like a strength in some cases militaristic sense Mm -hmm. so like wingman even though we typically associate that with like trying to like get your buddy to hook up with someone that might be a more yeah two f-18s in a squadron Right. Mm-hmm. Like you are equals and you are a team. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And literally lost in translation. 
<laughs> which nice. is crazy. Also, if you Google help me, I just realized this because I was trying to figure out the word. It's usually translated in original English translations as help meet, like M-E-E-T. And if you just Google that word, oh no, a bunch of LDS stuff comes up. Oh. So like oh. they love talking about this, it turns out. I want to ask a question. Can I do that? Please. Oh, please. You are, are a help meet here, Emily. What are your you thoughts? You can ask whatever you'd like. Oh, thank you. What are your <laughs> thoughts on marriage? Oh, whoa. I'm excited. I won't go into the full story here, but I just got engaged recently and I asked Elise to marry me and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Mouth. And I think that the more I hear about marriage, especially from like people like you two who have been married for a while, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be great. Steven, what do you think about marriage? Oh man, what a fresh question for me right now. Marriage is good. However, it turns out when you leave the religious system that you were a part of that we got married under you start having questions about like what is it for like the, and this isn't a harbinger for like dixie and i are divorced in two years or whatever but the the question has been on my mind of like what is marriage for mm. and right now i just keep coming back to i think marriage is to set up a good environment for raising kids Mm. and that feels really simplistic to just like end with a period and just leave that alone i and hear that especially is. because marriage has been like used for that so much and like obviously we can see that in the bible and that being right like the opinion and mm -hmm. obviously like the christian influence of mm -hmm. heterosexuality i think that something can be a function of marriage and not be the point mm, sure so like I, I hear you saying that and like as someone who is not yet married and is also like not living inside of a church community, it is really interesting like thinking forward to marriage without the necessary expectation of children. Mm -hmm. Like I have previously thought like, oh yeah, I should get married and have children someday. And not like, not that I like didn't want to and I was looking forward to that, but like, it, you know, we all know how it goes. It, it's like all wrapped up in there. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I yes, I agree with you that I think that the Christian ideal is very quiverful. <laughs> hey, and that is yeah. absolutely the like underlying norm mm -hmm. of the majority of Christian marriage. But I don't think that I'm like kind of preaching to the choir here, I feel like, but I don't feel like it has to be that way. Like, I don't think that I think you can be a Christian and like not have that view. Oh yeah. Cause also Definitely. that just like leaves out so many people like that leaves mm -hmm. out tons of single people that leaves out people who can't have kids or not yet or people in marriages who don't want kids. Like that mm -hmm. just like excludes so many people from like the experience of yeah. being Christian and being married. And like, I just don't see why you would like let that prevail. Yeah. But at the same time, like you let those, those attitudes prevail because they're kind they're out there and they're like totally embedded. Like, the weirdness that Dixie and I sometimes feel hanging out with married friends who have kids, depending on what communities they're additionally embedded in outside of like the one we're participating in, in the moment, it can start to feel like we're kind of like the third wheel couple who's there. Who's like, mm. they can't have kids. Like it, totally. it, it does start feeling like a reflection 
Um, or like they're projecting you onto a success to failure sliding scale. And it feels Mm. like uh, there's a lot of silent judgment that comes and it's like, well, it's implied, I I think. Totally. Well, I think to your credit too, like, just like we were talking last episode about change, like something being the norm, like things outside of the norm are the things you notice. And so like, regardless of anyone's opinions, um, positive or negative about anyone's circumstance. I think that those outliers are often more noticeable Mm -hmm. in that context where like that norm is prevailing. Yeah. And maybe that's what I'm projecting onto a pretty blanket statement that says, I think marriage is just to raise kids well in a psychologically healthy environment. Yeah. Maybe I'm just projecting that on because it's the norm. Okay. Yeah. But how many, how many people have been like, fucked up from their parents like everyone so like mm-hmm. it's not yeah fair like, enough like majority it is not a good environment to raise kids and emily i think you're gonna be great but you will also fuck up your kid oh yeah no it is yep mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and like i think that everybody does know that like i don't think that that is an argument itself for not having kids but like marriage is also not a good environment to raise kids in because like we live in a world. It is pretty individualistic when you start thinking mm-hmm. about it that way of like some kids have great childhoods because of marriage. Some have great childhoods because the marriage fell apart. Yep. And they yeah. got distance from abusers. You know, I feel like I just came up with so many like expectations around what marriage should be in a religious context mm-hmm. that now I'm now that I'm no longer in that religious context. I it feels like there's meaning to be rediscovered. Or like, Ooh. yeah, I like that. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's just uh, like, what is this for? If it's not, you know, we're being a perfect mirror of Jesus's relationship with the church, hmm. the bride of Christ. Yeah, because uh, like, I don't know. I'm just not a Proverbs 31 girly anymore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so trying to trying to rediscover what marriage means post Christianity. Mm-hmm. it's new territory it's kind of scary it's also kind of fun because it feels very empowering to both both me and dixie to have mm-hmm. conversations together and be like what do we want our lives to be like what are our goals yeah. now because there's a lot of goals and a lot of dreams that are put on christian marriage because of like proverbs 31 woman ideals and like fruitful multiply like all those things yeah, feels like fun new territory. Hmm. Emily, what was your original question? I feel like we're answering one of your questions, right? What's marriage for? What's yeah, marriage what, for? Yeah. What do you think marriage is for? Yeah, pastor. I think marriage is for individuals having an opportunity to enter in intentional companionship that goes beyond just reproduction at least that's for me what marriage is for is because i have friends and i love them you know and obviously i married and i have a child so i've had sex uh but scandalous i could have had a child outside of marriage and i would i honestly would have been okay with that i but i think marriage is for intentional companionship that goes beyond friendship and it's 
I think of the purpose of what it's meant for is still up in the air because every marriage is so different. And, you know, I see people who, you know, common law marriage, they never signed a piece of paper. They didn't have their witnesses sign a piece of paper, but they're considered to be married in the eyes of the law. And their marriage is just as fruitful and wonderful as those who stand in a Sunday service and they have all their friends and family, you know, doing the whole wedding bell shebang. Like, I think we get so caught up in the wedding more than the marriage, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But the marriage is incredible because every day is so different. Like, here's a crazy thought. I wake up in the morning and it's the same person that I laid next to that previous night. And in that same day, I love them so much, but I also want to kill them because they drive me absolutely batshit crazy, but I don't want to let that person go. Mm. <laughs> like you can let go of friends who drive you nuts, right? You have a disagreement and you're like, I'm done, but you're choosing to stay with this person because there's something that you see to be wholesome and sacred that is adding value to each of your lives and as a whole. And that to me is a weird thing that like, I want to be with this guy, even though he drives me bonkers and I can't imagine my life without him. Like to be that committed to a person, you know, that idea is just crazy to me. It is just weird. You don't see that in other, like, there are animals in the animal kingdom that do have, like, lifelong partners. But I don't think they say to themselves, they drive me absolutely crazy. I want to get rid of them. Like, they just, they just are. And marriage is weird, but it's awesome. Hmm. And I wouldn't change anything about it. Speaking of last episode and just, like, change... I feel like a pretty big movement has happened within Christian circles where like old and new Testament speaks against divorce, but I feel like our Christian culture is far more open to it, especially in cases, I mean like of abuse or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. like there used to be examples of like, no, you stay with your abusive husband. Cause maybe well, doesn't Paul say something like that? Like women stay in your marriage and pray for him that you might like win him back or something like that. I'm not just making that up. Am I? I mean, John Piper definitely said that. I think he gets it from think, Paul though. Yeah. But I don't think Paul says it quite like that. I think it's, I think it's more along the lines of like women pray for your husband's. Yeah. Thing. I don't think it's explicitly. I think Piper is the only one modern day who's explicitly been like, stay with your abusive husband. I think. Yeah, because it's from um, Philippians. It's like being married to unbelievers or something. Grant your husband discernment. Yeah, there we go. Mm -hmm. uh, Christians on divorce, just overall, I feel like has changed so much. It's also one of those where it's oh, yeah. just like, it's so easy for Christians to just kind of like look the other way of like, what, the Bible said that's sin? Anyway, and then they move on. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's weird, isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah, going back to the last episode, just like goes to show that like, things do change and like our perception of things and also our interpretations of the Bible change in terms of like cultural importance. Yeah. Right. And like, I'm, this is a hard one to word, uh, but I'm going to drop a hot take at the end. I think personally that even if a Christian 
believes that heterosexuality is somehow ordained by God, original design, uh, you're meant to do it so that you can have kids, somehow they theologically justify it, I think that they should still accept that it should be a right for people to be homosexually married. Because if they're not a Christian, it shouldn't affect them. You should be 100% okay with that. I think that you can believe in like mm. state marriage versus Christian mm. marriage. And if that's what gets us to have uh, human rights around the world, great. That's my hot take. Tax breaks, baby. No, that's reductive. <laughs> <laughs> because like, Stephen, to your point, like so many Christians theologically justify marriage. And when you're no longer theologically just like, for instance, I don't know if I'm theologically justifying marriage. Maybe like mm. subconsciously I am, but like, I don't think explicitly I am anymore. And like, when you don't, you have to justify it other ways. Like, part of me wants to say the best reason for getting married is because you want to. Hell yeah. Because I want, I want to. Yeah. Like, I know, I know that like marriage has a complicated history with women being considered property and like it's, it's medieval in some ways and some of the traditions are weird. But like, ultimately, I want to. I love that. Yeah. It really can be that simple. Yeah, it's it's funny because we were actually talking about this in the car yesterday, Josh, when we were leaving the zoo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm of the opinion that every marriage should explicitly acknowledge that divorce is actually on the table. Like, mm. I don't like when I see a marriage that are like, oh, don't say the D word. And they mean divorce. Mm -hmm. Like, to make it so taboo to consider that actually putting an end to this isn't an option like divorce should be an option because at that point it truly i think it that adopts kind of an open-handed approach to the whole enterprise to the whole thing of marriage of like no divorce is on the table and we both recognize that and we're both comfortable in that and it makes mm -hmm. the literal daily choice mm -hmm. to remain married and continue in your companionship I think that makes that more meaningful, not threatened. Yeah. Amen. In my opinion, I think it also makes a difference for a man to say that than for a woman to say that. Because Emily, you brought up earlier about like rape not being legally mm -hmm. uh, defined in marriage until the last century mm -hmm. in America. Same goes for divorce. Like even in America, you like needed your husband's permission. Like the husband had to initiate divorce, and like that came yeah. from the Bible. And so like for for men to say, no, it is legally an option. Like, I'm not saying I want it, but like, legally that's allowed. And like, I, mm -hmm. my hand would be forced. Yeah. I think that that is a significant, like giving up of power symbolically too. That like, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not in this for power. This is an equal relationship. Yeah. That's the equalization Emily's talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, like I think about the, the divorce we see play out in Ted Lasso even. Mm, oh yeah. yeah that's a good example you know it, it that's it, it's ted like accepting that moment and being like oh to to love this person the best is to actually let them go right now like that the way they portray that i thought was so powerful mm. very meaningful because it's not yeah. like well, like white knuckling the relationship right mm-hmm it's like the stupid joke of people people calling marriage like ball and chain. It's like, whoa, that's yeah. a, if you're approaching it that way, mm. that's yikes, bikes, dude. Maybe it's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there you have it. 
Christian marriage. We did it. You're welcome, everyone. Solved it. Emily, <laughs> do you have any uh, last thoughts for us or marriage advice to leave us with? Well, actually, I have a quote also from Princess Bride because I just think it's really funny. Buckle up. Oh, Wesley, will you ever forgive me? What hideous sin have you committed lately? I got married. I didn't want to. It all happened so fast. It never happened. What? It never happened. But it did. I was there. The old man said man and wife. Did you say I do? Uh, no. We sort of skipped that part. Then you're not married. If you didn't say it, you didn't do it. That's so funny to end on. <laughs> love that. I love that. If you didn't say I do to Christian marriage, you're not Christian married. <laughs> I love I love the elementary school logic of <laughs> that whole exchange. Didn't say it. Didn't happen.